On this episode of the Blue Jacketeer podcast, we will be covering chapter 9 of the Corman Manual. Welcome to the Blue Jacketeer podcast, where we help you prepare for the Navy-wide advancement exam by covering study material created by highly qualified sailors. Learn more about what we have to offer at www.bluejacketeer.com. Welcome back to the bluejacketeer.com podcast for Hospital Corpsman. I'm Taylor Larson. On this episode, we will continue with the Hospital Corpsman Manual, covering Chapter 9. Be sure to pay attention because there will be a quiz episode on what you learned today. Without further delay, let's get started. Sit back, relax, and listen up. This is Chapter 9 of the Hospital Corpsman Manual, Preventive Medicine and Infection Control. Today's topic is preventive medicine and infection control. This covers the most desirable means of maintaining good health in the Navy, especially in sanitary spaces and aboard ships. The goal of the Navy Sanitation Program is to provide personnel with a clean and healthy work and living environment. This is especially important for corpsmen as we are charged with not only creating a clean, healthy environment in our workspaces, but also ensuring that galley and berthing spaces are free of disease and promote good health among our sailors. Sanitation is defined as the hygienic means of promoting health through prevention of human contact with the hazards of waste. It is especially important to be knowledgeable about this topic as a corpsman because we are also charged with training and educating the crew on hygiene, exercise, sleep, and nutritional requirements. As I said, sanitation inspections are an important part of our job, both afloat and ashore. The condition of living spaces and the inspection, cleaning, and maintenance practices all get reported to the commanding officer. More information about these inspections can be found in the NAVMED P5010. Along with sanitation, habitability is another important aspect that corpsmen monitor. Habitability concerns include air ventilation, heating, and air conditioning. We'll discuss these topics in more detail shortly. Vector and pest control is one aspect of our inspections of berthing and galley spaces in Navy facilities. A vector is any animal capable of transmitting pathogens or producing human or animal discomfort or injury. These include insects, arthropods, and rodents. Pests are organisms that negatively affect military operations and the well-being of humans. Insects, rodents, and snakes are all examples that can attack property, supplies, and equipment, and are important to monitor for. Food service sanitation is an aspect of our job that requires constant vigilance. Anytime you walk past the galley, order food, or talk to any culinary specialist, it is important to keep in mind any and all food service requirements that may not be being upheld. We can correct most of these issues on the spot. If you see something, such as someone walking into the galley without washing their hands, eating or drinking in a food prep area, or sanitary supplies being out of stock, it's important to say something and keep them in mind during the next monthly inspection. 
information on food storage, proper temperatures, and storage life of food items can be found in NAVSUP 486, Food Service Management General Messes. Food service facilities have to be inspected by a medical department representative, along with a food service manager, officer, or designated representative. This inspection will be recorded on the NAVMED 6240-1, Food Service Sanitation Inspection. The form has a score system to determine whether or not the service is compliant. Procedures for filing the report can be found in the NAVMED P5010. Many, if not most of you, already know that immunizations are a critical part of our job. Our role in that regard is to minimize disability by emphasizing these immunization programs. When vaccines are used to protect personnel against certain diseases before exposure to infection, it is called prophylactic immunization. These are limited to very dangerous diseases that have effective and reliable immunizing agents. Immunization ensures that Navy and Marine Corps personnel are deployment-ready at all times, so it's important to refer to the BUMED Instruction 6230.15, Immunizations and Chemoprophylaxis, and review immunizations routinely, and especially before a deployment. Communicable diseases are diseases that can be transferred from a carrier to a susceptible host. This can happen either directly from an infected person or animal, or indirectly through another host, vector, and inanimate object like a door handle. Submission of a medical event report is key when discovering a communicable disease. Instruction and requirements for reporting to local, state, national, and international health authorities can be found in the preface of NAVMED P5038. Control of Communicable Diseases Manual. Water supply disease control is another important aspect of protecting sailors and marines. Drinking water standards for ashore and afloat can be found in BUMED Instruction 6240.1, Standards for Potable Water. Concerning water supplies in the field, make sure you consider water acquired in the field unsafe until it has been disinfected and tested. Water treatment is done to purify the water and make it potable or safe to drink. Processes that we can use to treat water include aeration, coagulation, flocculation, filtration, reverse osmosis, and disinfection with in-depth information on each within the NAVMED P5010. On ships, while the engineering section will perform the actual chlorination or bromination of the ship's water, of the ship's water, the ship's medical department is responsible for determining the quality of the water in the system. Wastewater is the spent water on a ship, base, or other activity. Wastewater can include soil, detergent, and sewage. Overboard discharge of untreated sewage within three nautical miles of shore is prohibited by federal law. 
For this reason, naval vessels are equipped with marine sanitation devices, or MSDs, that can collect and hold it until properly disposed of or pumped overboard in unrestricted waters. Next, we'll talk more about infection control. This means taking steps to prevent the spread of infectious agents. Local infection control policies should follow NAVMED P5010, BUMED Instructions 6220.9 series, Nosocomial Infection Control Program, and BUMED 6600.10 series, Dental Infection Control Program. An infection control officer must be appointed by commanding officers to implement an infection control program. All corpsmen need to be aware of where and how infectious diseases spread. Starting on page 9-TAC-5 and continuing on 9-TAC-6, you can find a large list of terms that we will continue to use in this chapter and in the lesson for chapter 10. If you're questionable on the meaning of anything we discuss in these chapters, please refer to page 9-TAC-5 and 9-TAC-6 in your Corman manual for more information. To really understand infection control, we'll go over some of the microorganisms that can cause diseases, called pathogens. Microorganisms are bacteria, bacterial spores, viruses, protozoa, and fungi. We'll go over how to deal with them so you can better know how to fight them when they threaten your patients. Bacteria can sometimes take on a shell-like coating to protect themselves during adverse conditions. Bacteria in a spore state are passive and will be resistant to heat, drying, and most bactericidal chemicals. Bacteria can remain in a spore state until another opportunity for growth prevents itself, and then they can become strongly pathogenic. Viruses are much smaller than bacteria, and sometimes they can only be seen under an electron microscope. Viruses need a host to live for a decent period of time and to reproduce. There are three main groups of viruses, bacterial viruses, animal viruses, which can still attack humans, and plant viruses. Some common viral diseases include the common cold, measles, rubella, herpes simplex, AIDS, and hepatitis. Most viruses do not respond to antibiotics. Most, but not all, viruses are susceptible to immersion in boiling water for at least 20 minutes, one exception being hepatitis. Autoclaving is the preferred method for sterilization, which will be discussed more in Chapter 10. Protozoa are single-celled animals that do not have a rigid cell wall to protect them. Some protozoa even cause parasitic diseases. Protozoa that are pathogenic must be spread by a carrier. Fungi are plants that are smaller than protozoa. Mold and yeast are two forms of fungi. Mold cells are usually found in long, tangled chains that can blow away into the air when dry. Each seed can grow new mold if it finds a suitable place. Mold spores are destroyed by heat very easily. 
the most common fungal infection in humans, which you have probably already seen in your patients, are athlete's foot and ringworm. The drug penicillin is obtained from mold as well. Now that we've discussed some form of pathogens and how to fight them, let's discuss how to prevent them and protect ourselves and our patients. Standard precautions means that you assume that all body fluids, contaminated instruments, and contaminated materials are infectious. It is not always possible to identify potentially infectious patients, so it is important to take all precautions to be protected from any health hazards. Hand hygiene is the first and easiest tool to use. Good hand washing techniques and use of gloves are essential before anticipated exposure to patients' blood or bodily fluids. We all know when to wash our hands, but ensure that you wash them between patients, before and after going to lunch, after taking a break, using the restroom, or any time they become contaminated. Skin can harbor both resident and transient flora. Let's go over some characteristics of each. Resident flora can survive and will multiply on the skin, can be repeatedly cultured, and are usually only mildly pathogenic. Transient bacteria do not survive and won't multiply on the skin, are not firmly attached, and can be removed by simply rubbing your hands together under running water. The Navy uses two main groups of handwashing agents, water-based and waterless. Water-based agents include chlorhexidine, alcohol, and iodophores. Waterless agents are effective against bacteria, fungi, and viruses. Waterless agents are effective against bacteria, fungi, and viruses. Waterless agents should be used where sinks are not readily available and when hands are not visibly soiled. The next barrier between infectious agents and you and your patients is personal protective equipment, or PPE. Corman should always wear gloves for all patient contact. Make sure that you immediately replace any gloves that become torn or punctured, and that you always wash and re-glove before contact with another patient. There are many types of gloves available, and the most common are sterile surgical gloves, undergloves, procedural gloves, latex examination gloves, and nitrile gloves. Outer attire is an important piece of possibly infectious material to keep in mind. It's important to wear clinic apparel only in the treatment facility, to change daily or when visibly soiled, to turn in and place soiled linen in a soiled linen receptacle, to not place dirty linens in personal lockers or spaces overnight, and to not take them home to avoid spreading anything to your family. Transmission-based precautions are the second tier of infection prevention, above standard precautions. This precaution level should be set for patients with confirmed or suspected pathogens that can be spread by airborne, droplet, or direct contact with the patient. Airborne precautions should include placing the patient in a private negative pressure room 
with the air from inside the room being pumped outside or through a HEPA filter. Droplet precautions are for patients with pathogens that spread by coughing, sneezing, or talking, like the flu, adenovirus, or rhinovirus. Contact precautions are for patients with infections that can spread by direct contact with a provider or indirect contact such as equipment or surfaces. Some examples of this are MRSA or VRE. As corpsmen, we are often charged with the preparation and turnover of patient rooms and assisting the medical or dental officer during treatment. During all of these tasks, we are required to remember to use aseptic techniques and practices. Let's go over some key points of maintaining infection control in the treatment room. Be sure to wipe all flat surfaces, including tables and chairs, that all trash from the day prior is taken out, and to place barriers on equipment that is difficult to clean. Be sure to leave the wrapping material of instrument trays and packs underneath as a barrier for the work surface to make cleanup easier. Dental facilities should flush each of the unit water lines and hoses for at least one minute and at least 30 seconds between patients. Many dental clinics have central sterilization rooms, or CSRs, that are available to turn contaminated handpieces and instruments into. Some commands might make you perform handpiece maintenance, which simply includes removing the handpieces after each patient, lubricating it, and operating it for 30 seconds. Exposure incidents can be very serious if not dealt with appropriately and immediately. Mistakes do happen, and sometimes a mistake can result in a penetrating injury, like a needle stick or cut, or being splashed in the eye or any mucous membrane with contaminated fluids. When either of these things happen, it is important to stop what you're doing and step back from the point of contamination. Squeeze the skin around the needle stick to expel any blood or possible contaminants. Cleanse the injury site or flush the eye for 15 minutes with cool water. Once all of this is done, report what happened and seek medical attention. Your facility should have a protocol spelled out for most exposure incidents, and after an incident has already occurred, it's the wrong time to become familiar with it. One of the last steps to infection control is the management of infectious wastes. Improperly handled infectious waste can become a grave concern to both public and environmental health. BUMED Instruction 6280.1, Management of Infectious Waste, has the minimally acceptable guidelines for facilities to follow. Some examples of infectious waste that can contain pathogens sufficient to cause infectious diseases are sharps, microbiology waste, pathological waste, liquid waste, and medical waste from isolation rooms. It's important to start by separating non-infectious waste from infectious waste right where the waste begins, normally in the treatment room. Only infectious waste should be placed in the red container with the word biohazard and the universal symbol. These containers should be lined with plastic bags, which will also be red with the biohazard symbol, 
that are durable enough to prevent ruptures or leaks. Closing a biohazard bag is a simple three-step process. Twist the top of the bag. Wrap tape around the now-twisted neck starting from the bottom and bend the neck in half, taping it to itself. This is called goosenecking. A chart is available for viewing the guidelines of disposing different types of infectious waste on page 9, tack 22 of your Corman manual. Surgeries are often very invasive, so it's an obvious topic to touch on when learning infection control. Surgical aseptic technique the sterilization, storage, and handling of articles to keep them free from pathogens is key in reducing the amount of microorganisms that can pose a threat to personnel and patients in these delicate environments. Let's go over some guidelines to keep in mind. Good personal hygiene is key. If you have a cold, sore throat, open sores, or an infection, don't go into the operating room. Operating room attire can't be worn outside of the operating room. Staff having direct contact with the surgical site must perform a surgical hand scrub before the operation. All instruments and tools need to be sterile. There are specific procedures to gowning and gloving for a sterile operation. Images for gowning and gloving are available for viewing on page 9-TAC-29 and 9-TAC-30 in your Corman manual. This concludes our lesson for Chapter 9 of the Hospital Corman Manual. I hope that you are not only able to learn something, but also apply some of the information in this chapter to your daily duties. Remember, at Blue Jacketeer, we bring you the very best in advancement exam preparation. Don't forget to check out our next episode where we will be covering Chapter 10 of the Hospital Corman Manual. As always, I'm Taylor Larson, reminding you to stay Navy and always keep working for that next rank. Thank you.